Hi, this is Elizabeth Wells with the Unfathomable Podcast, and this is the series that deals with love and loss, grief and renewal, spirit and sorrow. And this is podcast number four in the series. And I'm going to begin talking about language and how after one has suffered a great loss, we sometimes hear things differently. In grieving, what I have found in the community of grievers that I know and have met through my life, we often need to be heard. And this is a very human need, the need to be heard, the need to be received, And often, we don't find that. After a certain period of time, people want us to have moved on, gotten better, gotten over it. But when you have lost the person who is your soul, there is no moving on except with them. You never move on from them. There is no getting better because you are never sick. You're grieving. And you don't get over anything. So what happens is that we start to feel more lonely, more isolated, especially around the people we sometimes want to have hear us and listen to us the most. Sometimes they are not able to be with us because they want to fix us. And in wanting to fix somebody, you actually diminish their grief. In thinking something is wrong with them, nothing is wrong. They are grieving. We don't want our grief managed. We don't want to be put under a microscope. For example, a year and a half now, about after my mom's passing, people are saying, oh, you're doing better, or you're more turned towards the world. And, or somebody the other day said, you're singing again. And to me, It feels like I am under their microscope, that I have to perform for them now, that they don't know the side that is still many, many hours in a day lonelier than lonely, because my important number one person is not here. We don't want to be evaluated or assessed or told we're doing better. We don't want to hear your prescribed set of rules or stages or systems. We did not sign up for that. That was imposed on us. Grief is messier than stages or charts can depict or predict. 
Grief is more like five steps forward, ten steps back, two steps sideways, one step back, ten steps upward, two steps downward, left then right, over the mountain and under the hill and through the dense forest, and the dance keeps going on, changing minute by minute, hourly, breath by breath, every day with no rhyme or reason. It's a chaotic tango in a minor key with no logical rationale behind discordant chords and steps. We do not get better, progress, adapt, or heal in a year. We don't suddenly build a new life or rise from the ashes. We who lost loved ones, who are our core, carry grief with us in indelible ways. And maybe we always did, and maybe we always will, and maybe we quote-unquote heal, and maybe we don't. Often we don't know what healing means anymore. It's a word that we take out of our vocabulary. We need validation, comfort, compassion, someone to listen, just listen. I have a neighbor who just surprised me. She showed up for me after my mom passed. And to this day, I can call her blabbing, crying, upset. And she listens and listens and listens and listens and listens. And I am filled by her listening. We are doing our best. We are doing our best. And our best may be that we're lying in bed for five years or we don't get up till two in the afternoon because we're sitting there in terror, holding ourselves, trying to make sense that we don't feel we have a purpose anymore. This is not a sprint. This is a marathon. And the platitudes and the language that is used in this culture really cuts into the grief. Grief becomes our path. It's going to show us the way, whatever that means for us. We might not know because we're in the dark and all we want sometimes is a hand to hold our hand in the dark or another human voice to be there for us. It is the resistance to difficult emotion that presents the difficulty. We live in a culture that wants us to be happy, like we are going to meet happiness on the other side of grief. We live in a culture that is swept into excessive positivity by the new age to the detriment of authenticity. There's a lovely poem by Rumi, and it's called The Guest House. He writes, this being human is a guest house. Every morning, a new arrival.
a joy, a depression, a meanness. Some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all, even if they are a crowd of sorrows who violently sweep your house empty of its furniture. Still, treat each guest honorably. He may be clearing you out for some new delight. The dark thought, the shame, the malice. Meet them at the door, laughing, and invite them in. Be grateful for whatever comes, because each has been sent as a guide from beyond. I love that. Each has been sent as a guide from beyond. I could talk a long time here and share about language and platitudes and grief and this culture. So this will be a series within the series. But some of the language that we may react to or that may trigger us in the big spectrum, and I say big spectrum because there's subtle language that I'll talk about later, but some of the language in this culture that's used often that we bristle at are the words better. Oh, you're feeling better. Someone said that to me months after my mom passed. Are you better? Someone said that not even two weeks, two and a half weeks after my mom passed. Oh, you've adapted. You adapt to a bad hair day or a new school or a job. You don't adapt to loss. People might say, it's a gift. And we think, what the hell? There's the traditional, get over it, move on, move forward. We don't know what that means. Our world ended as we knew it. What does get over, move on, move forward mean? It is meaningless language, and it is pushing us to a place without our permission, and it is denying the pain we are in. It is diminishing how we feel. Here are some others. She lived a long life. So what? Does that make it better? It means you had someone longer to love and deeply connect with them. Which doesn't mean that somebody who lost a baby or in utero isn't as connected to that little soul. You had her a long time. Be grateful. Again, we go, what? Grateful and grief? As if gratitude is the antidote or magic pill for everything. And it's diminishing and shaming, as if to say we aren't grateful enough. Grateful and grief can go together, but one is not the cure for the other. People use the term letting go. I say, let things be. And don't use the person who has passed on against the person who is grieving by saying they wouldn't understand or it wouldn't make them happy that you're grieving so long. 
It wouldn't make them happy. It is just someone putting a nail into the coffin of your grief. That's a really bad metaphor. No, I think our loved ones would understand because they too also grieved and loved and lost. Don't use God. Don't say God is great. They're in a better place. What does that mean? When people said to me, she's in a better place, all I can think of is, well, yeah, I'm not. Or they're getting their eternal reward. Or it was meant to be. So why is one's child dying meant to be? Or a parent leaving at a particular moment? Or a spouse? Meant to be is something we take out of our vocabulary. And the people who are still using language from the bad self-help books of the 70s. Be positive. Have perspective. Psychobabble is not going to help us. And I'm thinking, I'm grieving. I'm grieving. Do not manage my grief. If I am not allowed the full breadth and depth of what I'm moving through, it is going to rear its head again and again and again, and it may rear its head again and again and again for the rest of my life. I don't know. I am managing my grief. You do not have to manage my grief for me. In the first year or so after my mom's passing, I sought help for myself. And one of the people I sought help from is a well-known therapist living in another state who I had a phone session with. I think as soon as I heard this person's voice, I knew it wasn't right for me. She said I needed radical acceptance to lay this trauma down. An expert in psychology and transpersonal psychology. At some point, she used the words trauma, drama, tantrum, overly connected. Being sensitive to language, I bristled at her words. I thought, why does she have to use such cliched nonsense or label emotions in a way that stirs the embers of the lowest common denominator? That is the opposite of healing in any way, sense, or form. This is my radical acceptance. I wrote this at that time. I accept that I do not accept yet how things went down at the end of my mom's life. I accept that I will not ever accept the unacceptable in our managed healthcare system. I accept that principles of every religion or philosophy on the planet are not big enough to contain the answers for me on this pathless path I walk and have ever walked. I accept that I may ever live with the unacceptable in myself and this world. I accept that I am angry and hurt and filled with sorrow. I accept that I have regrets 
I don't need to carry. Self-reproach I don't need to have. I accept that I don't know how to help myself. Most of all, I accept that this is causing me pain and suffering. And in that final acceptance and realization, I rest. I accept that this is what is for me right now. And then I fall into some sort of thing I might begin to label as peace or even humor at this silly, fucked up human condition. I accept that all I want to do is go home to my true home and be with my mom, family, and friends there. And then when I have accepted all this, I start to feel better. And it makes me chuckle at the silliness and seriousness of this professional person's calling to alleviate the pain of others by telling them that they need radical acceptance. I want to scream from the mountaintop. I have accepted all the lack of peace and the peace. I have accepted all. And in that, there is some relief, a return to the beloved, and a seeing that is wide enough to know I do not have to make myself better now or ever. As my mom saw me, I am. And that makes me weep. Love makes me weep. Her love makes me weep. And in that I am on my knees and crash to the floor and accept that I will not ever feel that love again from another human being that I know of. That was it for me, the final love, the great love, my mother's divine love. And I accept that this is my truth for now. What we need again is validation, comfort, compassion, someone to listen, a hand in the dark, someone to show up, to call us, to be with us, not to try to make us better in your eyes. Yes, there are moments we may feel quote unquote better, but don't come to us with your agenda. Grieving is a minefield. There are triggers everywhere. The smallest, most innocuous thing might set me off and you will never know because I hide it from you or it wouldn't make sense to you. There is no logic or rationale behind feelings and love. It's a minefield. And I know it's a minefield for those who are trying to understand and who want to find the words to comfort. It's a minefield for you when you say something with good intentions and it sets us off in a blaze of fire and fury or we shut down. In this podcast, I'm trying to give a bridge here of what serves us. But grief to an individual, it's as massive and vast as the stars 
no two people are going to grieve alike. And that's what makes it so hard and strangely beautiful that we are so unique in this world, even in our sorrow. A friend called me shortly after my mom passed that she was going to visit a friend of hers whose mother was passing. She asked me, how do I be with her? I can't tell you specifically what I said, but I think I told her, go and listen. Don't try to make her better. She will apologize for her grief. Tell her it's okay, that she doesn't have to apologize. Just be there. Listen. Hold her. My friend called me later and said, thank you. Thank you. It's all she needed. A close friend of mine, who is a therapist, told me that she herself had never loved like this or lost like this, that she was trying to understand deeply. And she wrote me some beautiful words one day. I am humbled to witness you moving through your process in your own time and your own way. I begin to think that I see you putting pieces back together, yet do not wish to want that for you, because it seems that my wanting your to put pieces back together would be more imposing of external desires for you. So I step back over and over to simply witness and honor where you are, to be awed and humbled and moved by you, to be naked in my own vulnerability as I witness yours. You are a gift to the world. And I wrote her back. Hands folded, heart opened, by your receiving me and all of me in the deepest of ways one can possibly do at this most treacherous time. Your seeing me helps heal me. Whatever that means for me, I do not know. But I know your seeing stands by, and that is remarkable and rare in this world. You are a true and gifted healer. Hands folded and heart opened. You have been listening to The Unfathomable Podcast with Elizabeth Wells. If you'd like to learn more about me or my work, please visit my website, www.elizabethwells.com. That's Elizabeth with a Z, and Wells is spelled W-E-L-L-E-S, elizabethwells.com. I invite you to sign up for my newsletter or contact me through my website on the contact page. Thank you for listening today. Thank you.